Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Welcome back to another adventure in history. We're so glad to have you as January is coming quickly to a close. Already. It's I over. Mean, it's finished. Writing 2023 is just a piece of cake now. So I didn't have any problem this year. I didn't either. I still don't like 2023. It just doesn't roll. <laughs> I like 2022. It was pretty good. It was. 2020 was really fun to say. Other than the whole year itself. Oh, sure. But, but yeah. in terms of... Good years to say that roll off the tongue. That one was great. Yes, yeah. I agree. So, all right. Um, hey, before we do, we have anything that we have to talk about? No. Okay, so I have to give a commercial here, Ooh, and yes. not not like a fun commercial, although it possibly could be. Um, you know, we did a whole show about Larry Zeke, our custodian, yes. that was our custodian of the Historical Society for fifteen years. Um, passed away last August. We have not found a replacement. <sighs> I mean, we will never be able to replace know, him because he was never. part of the family. For sure, but but we still have a job opening. Help wanted. It is is a help wanting <laughs> uh, job. If if there's somebody out there that is interested in twenty hours a week, we kind of lock that in. It can be more sometimes, and we're very flexible with our schedules. Um, but it is not like a come in at midnight kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's during the day. It's during the day. At, uh, it's taking care of all of the historical buildings, and we take care of six old buildings and operate four museums. And uh, Larry's official schedule. When he started was Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Okay. But uh, he pretty much started coming in every day. Oh. So that's not required. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, get the word out. If there's somebody that's like semi-retired and would just like to help out a great nonprofit, um, give us a call or come on in or shoot us an email uh, or put the word out to all your friends and neighbors. Uh, It's a a good part-time job. Yeah. And free admission to all the museums. Oh, definitely. Right? (laughs) (laughs) One of the few perks we offer. (laughs) It's a good one, though. <laughs> but uh, obviously, Larry liked it because 15 years. Yes. And we obviously are not horrible and you have people. a good group. How many employees do you have with your organization? A million. <laughs> How many paid employees do you have? <laughs> that, actually, you know, you're right because I have a ton of volunteers you do. So that we would yes. not operate without. Um, there are full time, there are uh, five of us full time. Okay. And then there's another varying on season. Summertime, we hire more people. Uh, but at any given point in time, there's another uh, 10 people. But that's the, a nice part-time. group, yeah. right? I mean, everyone knows we everyone. Think, we think we're very nice. <laughs> but, it's, but it is nice to have that sort of camaraderie, too, in a small organization. But I do laugh, continue to laugh. My first museum that I ran mm-hmm. back in St. Joe, Missouri, there was a, a gift shop employee that, that quit after about a year and a half. And her sister worked for us, too, and loved the place. But uh, when she quit, she said, you're an ogre, Mac. <laughs> and I, I actually started laughing when she said that. That was the insult. I said, really? Aww. Me? I'm an ogre? <laughs> I was like, wow, wait until you get another job because <laughs> you're going to learn what an ogre is. Oh, man. <laughs> so I've always laughed that apparently I'm a really, a really mean guy, I guess. Yes. So uh, on that note, apply and find out. <laughs> That's right. Mac is not an ogre. He's not. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, shall we get to the uh, big history highlights? Do we have, yes. do you have anything else to plug? Anything no. Going on? Let's do this day, which is no. really tomorrow. Okay. And how how are your uh, your daughters coming with figuring out who they're going to interview someday? 
Oh, you know, they haven't yet. Did, did they forget? That they no, no, they have talked about it, and okay. it's sort of on their mind maybe for summertime. Oh, okay. So deep teas. Deep teas. All right, so these are things that happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. January 30th, 1649, King Charles I is executed for treason. Hmm. That might be a little bit of the theme today. Ooh. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, I won't talk about that he was beheaded. Because you don't like that. I know. All right. 1781. Maryland finally ratifies the Articles of Confederation. They're the last of the uh, 13 states to do so. The last ones. Come on. Welcome to the party. Do you think they're like trying to be fashionably late? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Maryland. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of at that. I mean, were they surrounded at that point? You got Delaware. You got Virginia. You got. uh, Ooh, what's. uh, trying to picture now all around all them. around them yeah, yeah. so but uh I, I don't have a strong opinion about maryland <laughs> right I mean, it's not as, huge it's as you're pers- yeah pretty small as you're well aware i have some strong opinions about some states <laughs> that i like to make fun of yes and there are some states i really do love i'm kind of indifferent about maryland all right well and i have some family roots there oh on my maternal side okay they're Delawareans, but there are some Marily- Marylandians. <laughs> oh, is that really what they go by? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but that's pretty far back. 1835. Andrew Jackson narrowly escapes assassination. Ooh. Richard Lawrence, an unemployed house painter. Hmm. It's always the unemployed house painters. And always men. Oh, well, that's, don't yeah. forget. <laughs> Approached Jackson as he left a congressional funeral held in the house chamber of the Capitol building. It's right there at the Capitol building. He approaches him and shoots at him, but his gun misfires. Mm. A furious 67-year-old Jackson confronts his attacker, clubbing (laughs) Lawrence several times with his walking cane. Oh, my goodness. During the scuffle, Lawrence managed to pull out a second loaded pistol and pulls the trigger, but it also misfires. What are the odds? Two guns and they misfire. Yeah. Jackson's aides then wrestled Lawrence away from the president, leaving Jackson unarmed, unharmed, and but angry, and as it turned out, paranoid for the rest of his life. Oh, interesting. Well, that that is scary, especially the second one, right? I mean, like, ooh, I, I missed it the first time. Got lucky. Are you going to get lucky a yeah, second time? Yeah. That is, yeah. But I kind of like that he starts, I mean, Jackson's not one of my favorites, but he starts whacking it with it's his cane. exactly how I picture him, though. Like, so angry, like, mad, and just like, what are you thinking? Isn't it? Not just like, <laughs> oh, is. I got lucky, I better run away. Right. Or let my other people deal with it. So, 1920, Mazda Car Company is founded, originally as the Toyo Cork Kogoya, and they make cork in Hiroshima. A decade later, the company ships to automobiles. That's an interesting switch. <laughs> I know, and I love, I wish we had a video right now, because you've got like a really perplexed look on your face. It just is. <laughs> yeah, cork. Right. Interesting. I wonder if their cars were made out of cork to begin with. <laughs> All right, 1933, this one's just for me. The Lone Ranger debuts on Detroit Radio. Oh. That masked rider of the, the planes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch. All right, just once I want a Tonto, just like to smack him on. <laughs> Uh, but I used to watch when it went to TV, the early, uh, on reruns, of course, because I'm not that old. That's, yeah. It, it had a popular theme song, too, right? It did. Did you know it? I don't know oh, it well okay, enough, I don't either. But I, I might insert it right here. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had that capability. Wouldn't that be cool? All right. Uh, 1933, also, the same day, uh, Hitler is named Chancellor of Germany. Mm. What were you thinking, von Hindenburg? They thought, like, if they gave him a little bit of power, they could control him. Right, because that always works. 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't work out. Oh, yeah. Uh, 1948, Gandhi's assassinated. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, 1968, the Tet Offensive shakes the Cold War confidence. Interesting. None of these are your history highlights. That was almost going to be the Tet Offensive yeah. because, you know, all the propaganda is, hey, we're winning, we're winning, right. things are going great. And all of a sudden, all over, there's... And like, we learn about it. And, and they're actually like on the embassy grounds oh. shooting. And that's all live on TV. Yeah. Pretty much. Wasn't great. Not like today, but but close. Yeah. Uh, and that really did turn the tide of, hey, this is not a popular war. This is not working. We are not winning. So. And also, what else are you not telling us, too? Exactly. I, I mean, that, I think, yeah. Hey, yeah. Walter Cronkite, is he one of your heroes? Oh, I don't know about heroes, but yes, he's definitely a great journalist and writer. So, so in terms of journalism, mm-hmm. who, who did you admire when you were beginning your career? Oh, at the time, you know, just the the broadcast uh, anchors on national television, so like Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, um, th- them, because they're the ones who you saw mm-hmm. the most. And of the big three, Dan Rather, Jennings, oh, Dan, and Dan Brokaw, Rather, yep. who was your favorite of those three? You know, I would think Peter Jennings. And I met all three. I have or had encounters with all three mm-hmm. um, during my time in college or, or immediately after what as kind well. Of, what kind of encounters? Well, one was um, with Dan Rather in when I was doing my internship in Miami um, at the local TV station. He was there and in lots and lots of makeup, um, which I it was, sort of shocked me a little bit to just see him in real life. Um, but he it, he was very nice, very genuine. Tom Brokaw, we saw at the White or at the Capitol, and he too was shooting something. He just seemed very larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter Jennings was at a town hall meeting that we had attended. And so, and again, they're all, you know, they were great writers themselves and journalists. And um, I knew I didn't want to be an anchor at that point. And they were all anchors, but they all had started as reporters. So, okay. Yeah. See, my takeaway is I would have guessed Peter Jennings was the smartest. <laughs> but I like Brokaw because I was a late night with David Letterman fan and he yes. would goof with, with Letterman and do little shticks with him. So I always thought, oh, he's he's the best. They were all very unique. And definitely I am I appreciate that there's so many more women now. Mm-hmm. And of course, like Katie Couric and Barbara Walters were present, but they had different roles at the time that mm-hmm. I was watching. So I think that women's roles in television have definitely improved. Um, so that's nice as I well. I like Connie Chung. Yes, <laughs> For amazing. the same reason that she Right, and through Portland, too, yeah. right? I mean, she was at KGW. <laughs> Although I, I, her choice of spouses is questionable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, a strange little side note there. Sorry. Sorry, loyal listeners. There we go. <laughs> uh, 1972, Bloody Sunday in Northern Ireland. 13 unarmed civil rights demonstrators are shot dead by British Army paratroopers. Ooh. Hence, the U2 song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Yes, you're right. And I'm not going to try I'm not going to sing that one either, yeah. yeah. But our history highlight of the day, and usually I shy away from birthdays, but because this is somebody I think that was a pivotal figure. Uh, 1882, FDR is born. Franklin Ooh. D. Roosevelt. Okay. That's so that's my history highlight. What'd I miss? Nothing. I, oh, yeah. come on I now. know. No, I had, I had some of those, of course. So um, the only thing that I did note was that this week is Groundhog Day. Um, so I, Wait, this week is Groundhog Day? This week it's coming. So it's on Thursday. It's right. on Thursday. Yep. I'm, on doing, the, I'm doing like over and over again. I know you are okay. on the second. So, <laughs> just so I looked it up and there's actually a Puxitani Groundhog Club. Oh no. And it was established in 1887. This truly could have been our entire show, Mac. I can't believe. That I think did. we might've done one. 
did. Well, I can't we, remember now. We could have. I have to go back to the vast archives and see if we can recreate. Now I'm trying to find it. So on there, if you go to their website, it's really cool because they have this mm-hmm. these frequently asked questions because this is, of course, you know, you've seen the movie, right? That's yes. like all I think of when I think of Groundhog Day. <laughs> And it's just like that. There's no fee to get in. Um, the celebrations actually starts at 3.30 in the morning. That's crazy. 3.30. Um, uh, Puxatawney Phil does come out around 7.28. And I like that on all of their footnotes, it's always, it says about. About. About 7.28. <laughs> now, if I was going to write about, wouldn't you write 7.30? Well, they have to wait till the sun is like <laughs> in the right spot. 7.28. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is true. But it so talks about there's porta potties, a bonfire, concession stands, souvenir stands, hot food and drinks. It is cash only though, folks. So if you're planning on going, you know, they haven't quite made it out of the 1800s yet there. <laughs> I wonder if they've ever paid Bill Murray to be there. Oh, how fun would that be? <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's events all week. Um, and again, if you go to their site, their their frequently asked questions are, are kind of funny that and goofy, funny. but it sounds like a lot of fun. And then um, if you go deep into it onto the lore and everything, they do talk about the fact that he is usually wrong. He is usually wrong. So yet... Why it's haven't, not even close. But it's why not, haven't we switched it then? I don't know. Why don't we say it the other way, <laughs> right? I mean... <laughs> Isn't, it's not even close, like 52%. He's, right. It's like 65% of the time or something. It's crazy. Well, right, like, because he's terrified because there's all these people in his, exactly. you know, yeah. What I want to know is how often does he bite the person that pulls him out? Oh, yeah. Ooh, that'd be awful. <laughs> I think they wear big heavy gloves for right. that reason. I always feel badly. I mean, just what you're pulling this poor creature out and holding him I up know, in front yeah. of everybody. It he does, doesn't want to be there. He does not want to be there. Um, so speaking of things that don't want to be there, right. speaking about Andrew Jackson yes. getting shot basically on the Capitol steps, mm-hmm. I went down a weird rabbit hole. <laughs> and we probably should have gone down the groundhog hole yes. instead. I know you would have <laughs> preferred that. So this is a history of attacks on the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, no, this is interesting. No, we're doing history. Yes. We're not doing current events. Right. So you and I talked about this because it, it should be noted that on January 6th, 2021, there was an attack on our Capitol. But as I like to say, because my U.S. history or high school history teacher said, history is 20 years you, you or older. 20 years. Yep. So um, not so, quite there yet. But in its uh, over 200 year history, the U.S. Capitol has been the main location where the Senate and the House of Representatives pass the country's laws and where presidents are inaugurated and deliver their annual State of the Union addresses. But while the Capitol was built to house legislative governance, it has also been the site of violence in multiple forms. Uh, let's see. Why don't you start with the first one, the War of 1812? Okay. Construction of the Capitol formally began on September 18, 1793, when President George Washington laid the first cornerstone. Enslaved uh, black Americans were performed the actual construction of the Capitol. Congress began using the building in 1800, the year the federal government moved its operations from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. Like many of the first federal buildings in D.C., the Capitol's design was based on 19th century neoclassical style inspired by ancient Greek and Roman architecture. Now, the Capitol's construction continued until the War of 1812 when the country's wartime mobilization forced it to a halt. A year into the conflict between the United States and the British Empire, American troops set fire to a capital in colonial Canada. In retaliation, British troops in 1814 burned federal buildings in Washington, D.C., including the White House and the Capitol. Now, the fire didn't completely destroy the Capitol, but it damaged enough of it that some members of Congress suggested relocating the federal government back to Philadelphia or find another city. 
Instead, workers rebuilt the Capitol and continued to expand it as the number of states and their representatives in Congress grew. Today, it covers more than 1.5 million square feet and has more than 600 rooms. Uh, over the next few decades, interactions between the, these congressmen became increasingly strained and violent. So, uh, congressional violence erupts during the lead-up to the Civil War, as you might imagine. The U.S. antebellum period was characterized by violence against enslaved black people, free black people, and abolitionists. It was a period in which anti-slavery newspapers faced mob violence, and the issue of slavery drove congressmen to attack one another. Hmm. One of the most famous incidences of uh, congressional violence is the caning of Charles Sumner. And we've talked about this, I think, once before, but as a refresher... In 1856, pro-slavery Representative Preston Brooks beat anti-slavery Senator Charles Sumner nearly unconscious with a cane on the Senate mm. floor. Brooks said he chose to attack Sumner this way because he didn't want to break an 1839 law against congressional dueling passed a year after a congressman had killed another in a duel in Maryland. It all ties back to Maryland again. <laughs> oh, how nice of him too, the, though. <laughs> the, the, yeah. The caning of Sumner was not an isolated incident. Uh, historian Joanne B. Freeman uh, identified more than 70 violent occurrences between congressmen while researching her book, The Field of Blood, Violence in Congress and the Road to the Civil War. Hmm. In 1858, a fistfight between about 30 congressmen broke out in the House of Representatives at 2 a.m. when a Southerner grabbed a Northerner by the throat in 1860. A uh, pro-slavery congressman threatened an anti-slavery congressman with pistols and canes while he spoke against slavery on the House floor. Wow. Now, the Senate had just adjourned on May 22nd, 1856, when Representative Preston Brooks entered its chamber carrying a cane. Now, this pro-slavery Southerner walked over. Oh, we already did this one. No. Without stopping. We're going into a little more detail. Okay, a little more detail. Uh, he whacked him on the head with the cane and then proceeded to beat this anti-slavery Northerner unconscious. Afterwards, Brooks walked out of the chamber without anyone stopping him. The caning of Sumner is probably the most famous violent attack in Congress, but it is far from the only one. Congressmen during this period commonly carried pistols or uh, bowie knives when they stepped onto the congressional floor. In fact, by the late 1850s, some constituents actually sent their congressmen guns. The fights that broke out among congressmen didn't usually make it into newspapers, which themselves faced mob attacks for abolitionist statements. But there were some exceptions, especially in the decade before the Civil War. Brooks's attack on Sumner, immortalized in a famous political cartoon, was one of those exceptions. Another was the only instance in which a congressman has ever killed another congressman. That murder happened in 1838 when Congress was fiercely divided between the Whigs and the Democrats. Those mm. poor Whigs and Democrats, they can't get along. At the time, many members considered an insult against a congressman to be an insult against his entire party. Challenging someone to a duel was therefore not just about a congressman's own honor, it was also about defending the honor of his party. There were the, these were the circumstances under which representatives Jonathan Silly, uh, and that's C-I-L-L-E-Y, so I may be mispronouncing that, and William Graves, who didn't have any personal disagreement with each other, entered a duel that neither really wanted. It all started when Silly, a Democrat from Maine, said something on the House floor that ticked off a prominent Whig newspaper editor. The editor asked Graves, a Whig from Kentucky, to hand deliver a letter to Silly asking if he wanted to take back what he'd said. What are we in middle school? <laughs> 
But Silly refused to accept a letter from the editor, who had a reputation for physically attacking congressmen, and Graves' colleagues in the Whig Party perceived this refusal as a slight. They advised Graves to challenge Silly to a duel in order to maintain his political standing within his party. When Graves sent Silly a letter challenging him to this duel, Silly's fellow Democrats told him he had to accept it for political reasons, too. On February 24, 1838, the two representatives and several other men met for a duel with rifles in Prince Prince George's County, Maryland. Neither congressman was very good with a rifle, and both missed each other or misfired on the first two rounds. On the third round, Graves shot and killed his colleague, Silly. How awful. And literally just because they were passing a note from an outsider. Yeah. Ugh. Now, the culture of violence also extended to state legislatures. The year before Graves killed Silly, a representative in the Arkansas House insulted the speaker during debate, and the speaker responded by murdering him with a knife right there on the House floor. Expelled and tried for murder, Freeman writes. He was acquitted for excusable homicide and reelected, only to pull his knife on another legislator during debate, though this time the sound of colleagues cocking pistols stopped him cold. Is that not crazy? That is awful. Congress responded to Silly's murder with an anti-dueling law in 1839, but the violence in Congress continued as its members led the U.S. into the Mexican-American War and fought over whether slavery should exist in new Western territories. Brooks's brutal attack on, attack on Sumner in 1856 was prompted by Sumner's, quote, crime against Kansas speech that decried the South's slave oligarchy and demanded the U.S. admit Kansas as a free state. Brooks chose to beat Sumner rather than risk breaking the anti-dueling law because, he argued, dueling would subject me to legal penalties more severe than would be imposed for a simple assault and battery. That's horrible. And (laughs) Sumner actually took two years to recover from that beating. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was kind of terrible. In 1858, partisan tensions over slavery erupted into a full-fledged sectional combat on the floor, Freeman writes. This was one year after the U.S. Supreme Court enraged abolitionists by ruling in Dred Scott versus Sanford that black people couldn't be citizens and the federal government couldn't ban slavery in Western territories. The brawl started around 2 a.m. during an overnight session when a Southern representative grabbed a Northern representative by the throat and said he would teach the black Republican puppy, and that's in quotation marks, a lesson. As the two white men struggled, their colleagues ran over and a fistfight broke out. The end result was a free fight in the open space in front of the speaker's platform featuring roughly 30 sweaty, disheveled, mostly middle-aged congressmen in a no-holds-barred brawl, north against south. Acts of violence like this showed how intensely Southern congressmen wanted to preserve the economic, political, and social power that they and their constituents held through owning slaves. They also presaged the larger fight between North and South that broke out three years later when Southern states succeeded and declared war on the Union. After all, civil wars don't just come out of nowhere. Now, when Abraham Lincoln won the presidency in 1860, Southern states responded by succeeding and waging war on the Union. Southern congressmen who had once worked in the Capitol began fighting against the Union it stood for, though during the Civil War, the Confederate Army never captured D.C. But there has been other violence. So some uh, shootings and bombings at the Capitol. In Hmm. addition to duels and physical fights between congressmen, non-members of Congress have fired weapons or planted bombs on the Capitol grounds. On July 2nd, 1915, a former German professor at Harvard, Eric Munter, 
planted a package containing three sticks of dynamite in the Capitol near the Senate reception room. The explosive detonated around midnight and during a time when the Senate had been on recess. An on-duty Capitol police officer was nearly knocked out of his chair during the blast, but fortunately no one was injured. The German-born man later wrote a letter to the Washington, D.C. newspaper saying he had planted the explosives to protest U.S. wartime aid to Britain and said he hoped the detonation would make enough noise to be heard above the voices that clamor for war. He then traveled to the home of J.P. Morgan Jr., the son of the uh, famous financier, in Long Island, New York, and shot him. Morgan's <laughs> wounds proved superficial, and he survived. Munther was soon captured and detained in jail, where several days later, he died by suicide. On March 1st, 1954, four Puerto Rican Americans fired guns in the House of Representatives, injuring five congressmen. The attackers said they acted to demand independence for the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans have U.S. citizenship but can't vote for president and have no voting representatives in Congress. The injured congressman survived and the four shooters received prison sentences. President Jimmy Carter commuted one of their sentences in 1977 and granted clemency to the other three in 1979. On March 1st, 1971, a bomb exploded in the Capitol building. While the explosion did not injure anyone, it caused some $300,000 in damage. A group calling itself the Weather Underground claimed to be behind the bombing and said it was in protest of the ongoing U.S.-supported bombing of Laos. Thirteen years later, on November 7, 1983, a bomb tore through the second floor of the Senate wing of the Capitol. The device detonated late in the evening and no one was harmed, but it caused an estimated $250,000 in damage. A group calling itself the Armed Resistance Unit later claimed responsibility for the attack, saying it was in retaliation for military actions in Grenada and Lebanon. Seven people were eventually arrested in connection with the attack. Uh, Political causes aside, individuals have committed acts of violence on Capitol grounds through the decades. These incidents include an 1890 fatal shooting sparked by a feud between a reporter and a former congressman and a 1998 fatal shooting of two Capitol police officers in 1998 by a man who claimed the U.S. was plagued by cannibalism and a fictional disease. And that's 1998. Right. Cannibalism. Obviously, Walking Dead's not even on TV yet. There were some other issues. So, <laughs> so earlier, I did say Connie Chung came through KGW, and mm-hmm. as soon as I said it, it was, I was in the wrong era. It was uh, Ann Curry. Oh, Ann Curry. A little, yeah, who came through KGW. <laughs> we yes. should have a whole show where we interview you. Yes, and she is fascinating, too. I mean, both of those women, again. Hmm. Yes. Well, yes, maybe we'll have the kids back to interview. Interview you. Okay, so we've just got a couple of minutes, so should we do some uh, local Ooh, This Week in History? <laughs> Um, let's see. I should have had a good one picked. Well, okay, here we go. So this is uh, February 1st, 1932. Prices on haircut take slide. Local men rush barbers. Long-haired historians today were rushing to the barber shops. The reason for the invasion is the fact that haircuts today went down in price. Ooh. People who have let their hair grow long until it looked like a Brazilian jungle can now get it trimmed for 50 cents as a result of the recent action of the Master Barbers of Astoria, which went into effect today. Ooh, also on that same day, bird lovers asked citizens to aid their feathered friends. With that story in the surrounding country covered with a blanket of snow for the first time this winter, bird lovers of this district today were calling public attention to the fact that birds must have help in getting food in order to survive. Bird lovers asked that residents of the city throw out, throw out an occasional crumb of bread or grain or other food provided that their depression thrift will allow them to do so. Birds can't dig for worms or other food when the ground is frozen and snow-covered, they point out. 
we need to help the birds. I think the birds also can fly. Yes, they can. <laughs> uh, February 3rd, 1933. February 3rd, 1933. Henry Reeb, local confectioner, who became seriously ill from an attack of hiccup, hiccoughs. That's what they call hiccups. Hiccoughs, which continued at a rate of about 60 per minute for almost eight days, was reported to be much improved today. According to his physician, Dr. Arthur Van Dusen, he has not coughed for about 48 hours and there are no signs of the return of the attack. News of the attack brought a big bundle of letters and telegrams containing advice as to how the fit of hick coughing could be stopped. (laughs) Dr. Van Dusen's favorite involved a raw potato balanced on the patient's stomach for several hours. I'm assuming he didn't that. use that one. Uh, but but there you go. So uh, that's something you could try if you get a case of the hiccups. Get that potato <laughs> out, pot- folks. On your belly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, go make some history. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.